invite you to turn over to the right just a little bit from the book of Acts to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2. We've been in a study of this great book, which we have seen as Paul reminding us of the, the wealth and the riches and the treasure house of God's amazing grace to us and in us as his people through Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking this morning at Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Would you stand with me and give attention to the reading of God's word from Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the prophets, the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Please be seated. Peace talks. How much energy and effort is put into talking about peace between two groups at odds or in conflict with one another? It's hard to remember the, the number of Middle East peace talks and accords that have taken place seeking to resolve the ongoing conflict between Israel and the Palestinians and other Muslim neighbors. How many different negotiations are Politically here at home, despite deep division and hostility between parties, we constantly hear rhetoric from, from both sides about what they are doing to, to reach across the aisle and to work with their opponents. 
The pursuit of, of racial reconciliation and social justice are often predicated on being willing to, to listen and understand and engage with one another in seeking solution, even in our personal relationships. When conflict arises or significant differences rear their head, the first step that we usually take is to sit down and talk things through. Now, communication in any conflict is important, and there is nothing wrong with peace talks and discussions of, of resolution and reconciliation. Indeed, they are good and they are necessary. However, too often on all levels, after a short period of goodwill gestures and, and perhaps some, some minor conciliations on each side's part, often the walls that divide us are, are raised up again. And sometimes even higher than they were before. And the conflict resumes at, at an often even more intense and, and heated level. So much so that we, we find ourselves cynical and skeptical and asking the question, can there ever be such a thing as true, lasting reconciliation and peace between individuals and groups that are at enmity with one another? And the answer to that question is yes, but it will not come. Through peace talks and negotiations or sensitivity training or even new laws or, and governing systems. Again, though all those things may help. True peace, true reconciliation happens only when we deal with the root issue of all conflict, all alienation, all hostility that we see at various levels. And that is the issue of man's heart of sin and, and the sin that by nature alienates and has us at enmity with God who created us. Adam's first sin not only broke fellowship and, and created hostility between him and his creator, but it, it created alienation and conflict in every arena of life for all of humanity, in the family, in the workplace, in relationships with, with individuals and, and groups of people, even with creation itself. And unless we are, are first reconciled and, and made at peace with God, we will never know true reconciliation. We will never know uh, peace in any other facet of our lives. The only thing, the only thing that will bring Arabs and Israelis, Democrats and Republicans, blacks, whites, Asians, Latinos, into, into renewed, reconciled relationship is the redeeming, reconciling, saving power of God through Jesus Christ. And Paul, in this second chapter of his letter to the Ephesian church, speaks in wonderful detail about this, this gift, this blessing, this, this grace of true peace and reconciliation that Jesus brings. We saw last week in verses 1 through 10 that he deals with the, this, this greatest of divisions and, and barriers that every single human being faces. And that's the, the barriers of our sin that I just mentioned that causes alienation and enmity, enmity between us as sinners and God who is holy and just. We could call it the, the great wall of sin. And it is unscalable. It is indestructible by anything that we can do in and of ourselves. 
It leaves us spiritually dead in sin. It leaves us enslaved to, to sin's power. It leaves us under the wrath of God. But Paul reminds us, God in, a, in his overflowing mercy and out of his great love, solely by his grace, comes and makes us alive together with Christ. He redeems us and he sets us free from sin's power. He adopts us as his children. He seats us with Christ as heirs to his kingdom. And so Jesus removes that great barrier through his perfect life, his sacrificial death on the cross, such that by faith, we have peace with God. And that's the only basis and foundation of true peace and true reconciliation. And it starts in our own hearts as God redeems us and makes us his own. But Paul goes on to say that's not all. There is a, a, another element to this peace which Jesus gives. And that is peace and reconciliation with one another. In Christ. In the second half of Ephesians, which we read, Paul speaks of a, of a, a divine peace accord, if you will, that is more than just talk. Indeed, it is, a, it, is a, it is a real transaction, a real, true, lasting, tangible experience of peace with one another that makes the church, the body of Christ, the one place, the only place where true, lasting reconciliation and peace is to be found. Indeed, Jesus himself said that this reality, this experience of unity among his followers would be the, the visible witness and, and testimony and expression of the reconciliation we have with God through him. And that's why ongoing division, ongoing dissension within the church at large is, is one of the greatest strategies of our enemy, Satan. And it's also one of the greatest tragedies in our calling to display the reconciling grace and glory of God to the world. And it's why Paul goes to, to great lengths here to remind the believers at Ephesus, to remind us today that Jesus came not only to give us true lasting peace with God, on a vertical level, but also to bring us into a true, lasting peace with one another in the body of Christ. So let's look at this section under, under three headings, kind of similar to what he, he gave in the earlier parts of this chapter, but we'll see the, the alienation, that wall that, that divides us, and we'll see the reconciliation that Christ brings, and then we'll see the incorporation that results from that. Let's look first at the alienation, the dividing wall between us. Paul begins by pointing to the alienation that existed between two basic groups of people during that day and, and which was still manifesting itself to some degree in the early church. And that division was between those who were Jewish, who were God's covenant people, and those who were not, everyone else called the Gentiles. And children, boys and girls here, to, to be alienated it means to be, to be kept out, to be separated from. Kind of like if you're, if you're on the pl playground and, and a group of kids are playing and they say, we don't want you here, you cannot play with us. They, you have been alienated, you have been kept out of that group. And Paul here is writing to 
a predominantly Gentile audience. And he gives this, this before and this after picture of their relationship, not only with God, but with God's people, Israel. And it's hard for us to, to describe and to grasp the division and the derision that existed between Jew and Gentile. But interestingly, it was a, it was a divide, it was a, 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 an alienation, if you will, that was actually God-ordained. It was rooted in God's calling of Abraham and his descendants to be his special people, his treasured possession. God had established this, this covenant with Abraham and he had set apart his descendants as his chosen People And he had promised his protection and his provision and ultimately his deliverance to the nation of Israel. He had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He had given them his, his law, his commandments. He had established his presence among them in the, in the tabernacle. And he had given the priesthood and the, and the sacrifices as a means by which they could worship and fellowship with him. He had brought them into a land and, and he had set them apart from all other peoples for the purpose of, of magnifying his name, of, of revealing his glory and to be a light to the peoples around them, to the nations around them. Indeed, his promise to Abraham was that all nations would be blessed through his Descendants. So in one sense, Paul is speaking here of a, a God-given alienation. It's a, a divine division between those who are, are in with God and those who were, were on the outside, so to speak. Those who were far off, as Paul said, from God and those who were near to God. And Paul refers to this reality when he says, remember you Gentiles, you at were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in this world. Pretty strong description. There was a, a spiritual alienation from God that was manifested in a, in a religious and ethnic and, and political and cultural separation from God's people. The Gentiles were not just alienated from God, but they were alienated from his covenant family. But that God-given division, it also resulted in the Jews erecting, in a sense, their own walls of hostility towards those on the outside. Their status as God's people had, had quickly become a badge of pride, a, a sense of exclusivity and, and spiritual superiority such that they began to hate the Gentiles. And this manifested itself in, in what were the equivalent of, of various uh, slurs and, and racial, racial slurs, calling them the uncircumcision in reference to the covenant sign of circumcision which marked God's people as Paul notes, in the flesh. Jews would avoid at all cost social contact with Gentiles. When traveling, they would literally stop at the borders of the promised land and, and shake the Gentile dust off of their feet. If a Jew married a Gentile, the Jewish family would not put together a wedding celebration. They would have a funeral service to mark the death of that child to the family. And the feelings weren't so great the other way either. 
The divide was huge. Religiously, culturally, socially, racially, politically. And it was expressed most pointedly in the way God had designed the the building of the temple in Jerusalem, where there was a a huge wall, some, some three meters tall, several feet thick, and that wall separated the, the inner areas of the temple where, where God's people could enter in and go and what was called the court of the Gentiles. Through this wall, no Gentile was allowed to pass. There were warning signs all over the wall threatening the penalty of death for anyone who trespassed its boundaries. It was literally a dividing wall of hostility meant to keep those who were not Jewish far away from the place of God's presence in the center court of the temple. But the truth is, there were other walls in the temple as well. Beyond the the wall between the court of the Gentiles, there was another wall that separated the women and children and kept them at a certain distance in which they could not go past. And then there was a, another wall keeping Jewish men from the inner sanctuary where only the, the priests and the servants could, of God could go. And then, of course, there was the great curtain that divided and shielded the Holy of Holies where, where God's presence resided or, or the, the symbol of his presence resided in the Ark of the Covenant there in the Holy of Holies. And there, only one person, one time a year, priest could enter in the presence of God and that through the blood sacrifice on behalf of the people. And so the temple was designed with with these, these walls of division. And Paul is reminding his Gentile readers of this great alienation and division that existed between them and between God, that God and, and God's people. And it was an alienation greater than anything we can imagine. One commentator summarized verse 12 by saying they were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. They were the ultimate outsiders, aliens, strangers. And brothers and sisters, so were you and I before God made us alive in Christ Jesus. What is needed for such a great alienation and division is a great reconciliation and a great reunion. And that's exactly what God does in Christ. And Paul points to the peace that Jesus himself creates and indeed embodies. The amazing reality that Paul wants us to understand and is critical for us to embrace is that it is Jesus Christ who removes this barrier, this dividing wall, and he does it by bringing reconciliation, again, not just on a vertical level, between us and God, but also on a horizontal level between us and others. After painting this before picture of the great barrier between Gentile and Jew, he says in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Perhaps Paul is recalling the words of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 57, 19, where God promises to forgive sin and to bring peace, peace to the far and to the near. You know, some of us were raised as what we might say 
as being near to God. Maybe you were raised in the church and, and most of your lives have, have heard and, and believed what the Bible says. Some of us were raised far off from God, perhaps having very little exposure, if any, to the truths of God in the scriptures, maybe even having been hostile towards God and, and Christianity and the church. But whether far off or near, Paul says Jesus Christ has brought about reconciliation with God himself and then with one another through his blood. Jesus hasn't just given us a, a roadmap to peace. He hasn't just said, here, let's, let's sit down and, and see if we can work things out together. Jesus has purchased our peace with God. He has won it for us by laying down his life, shedding his blood for us on the cross. Jesus, the, the perfect son of God, the one who was the ultimate perfect insider, who was nearer to God than any of us can ever hope or imagine to be because of his union with him by nature. He was crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem. He was taken outside the camp, so to speak, and abandoned by all, by the Jews, by the Romans, by his own disciples, even by his heavenly father on the cross. The one who could not get any nearer to God, an insider by nature, became the ultimate outsider, the great outcast. And while he is there on the cross, all of our sin, all of our hostility and, and alienation from God, everything that, that separates us from God and deserves his wrath and condemnation, all is laid upon him. And he takes it for us. He pays that penalty and settles our debt. And he goes as, as far away as possible in order to bring us near to God. And so Paul says, Jesus Christ himself is our peace. But again, he's not just achieved peace for us with God. He also achieves peace and union with, with others who are as well in Christ. Verse 14, he said, He has made us both one and broken down in his flesh that dividing wall of hostility. The bottom line of what Paul is saying here is that as believers in union with Jesus Christ, by faith in his work on the cross, we have been reconciled and we have been brought into union with one another such that we can be described and are described as one. One. Only in Christ can two deeply divided, hostile, alienated groups of people be brought to a place of lasting, unified peace with one another that can be described as one new man. One new entity, one new humanity. And Jesus not only makes us a new creation in him, but he brings us into new com a new community of people who are reconciled and united together 
in true peace. So look around you at those sitting here with you. Think about those who are worshiping right now under a tree in West Africa or in a home in China or in a cathedral in Europe. We are united as one in Christ Jesus. And so as believers, we do not, we do not need to achieve reconciliation. It has been achieved for us. It exists in Christ Jesus. What we are now called to is to live it out together in the body of Christ. To show forth that peace and that reconciliation that we have. And and how does Jesus achieve this for us? How does he bring it down? How does he bring down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile? Well, it happens on the cross. Jesus became the, the perfect sacrifice for sin. And in doing so, Paul says... He abolished the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. Now, what does that mean? I thought Jesus, he said himself, he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And indeed, he did. In his life, he obeyed God's law perfectly, fulfilling its requirements and demands. He also came to reveal it more, more fully to us. The moral law of God still stands to reveal God's ways, to reveal our own sin. It still serves to show how, how great God is and what he, he demands of his people and how sinful we are. Jesus does not abolish the law as if it doesn't have any standing for us anymore. But what he abolished is the law's ability to keep us away from God. He removed the legal and the personal barrier of the law's condemnation on us as sinners. He took upon himself the wrath of God for our being lawbreakers so that we could be justified, made right with God, and, and now be at peace with our Creator. And in doing so, he removed also the ceremonial aspects of the law, which had been the, the dividing line between Jew and Gentile. No longer was circumcision of the flesh the distinguishing mark of being near to God. No longer was access to the temple and sacrifices offered by the priest necessary as an atonement for sin. No longer was, was purity defined by what you eat or drink or touch. These, these ceremonial laws, which had distinguished and had represented the great divide between God's people and those who were not, had now been removed. That was, that was Peter and Paul's argument before the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, which Missy read for us earlier. There it was basically decided that, that Gentiles, because now we have been brought near together in Christ, no longer have to become Jewish in order to be considered brothers and sisters in Christ. And friends, that's why the church today is not about so many external things that we think it's about. It's not about worship styles or dress codes or certain building types or culturally exclu exclusive practices. There will be differences in those areas among us, but that's not what defines us. 
and nor should it be what divides us. Christ has brought down the dividing wall of hostility. And on the cross, he put to death the ho that hostility. He removed the enmity and alienation we have with God. And he replaced it with love, forgiveness, acceptance, righteousness, kindness. And that reality is to be reflected in our relationships with one another in the body of Christ. We aren't defined by our ethnicity. We're not defined by our politics. We're not defined by our economic strata or our social status. We're not defined by what kind of family we were raised in or any other external measure of identity. Paul says we have become one in Christ. No matter what national, political, racial, social, cultural, economic difference we may have. Grounds for hostility with one another have been nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. And if God has forgiven and loved and embraced and welcomed and reconciled those of us who were, at, were his enemies... And he calls us too to love and forgive and embrace our brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter how different we are. Paul says, through him, through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father in heaven. You know, during the civil rights struggles of our country, you may Remember, for a long time, blacks lived under the slogan, separate but equal, where they were supposedly granted equal access, equal status, excuse me, by the law, but they were still restricted in their access to certain places or privileges. Well, brothers and sisters, the church does not and it cannot exist in a separate but equal state. Through Christ, no matter who you are, we not only have equal standing before our Heavenly Father, but we have equal access to the same Father through the same Spirit which has been given to us. And so you see, Jesus creates this true, lasting, permanent reconciliation, first between us and God, and then between us and one another as fellow believers. And that dividing wall those dividing walls in the body of Christ that continue to divide us must come down. In Christ, the barriers that we erect on things like race or culture or social status or appearance or economics or age or being male or female have been torn down. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female, but all are one in him. And that doesn't mean that distinctions and differences don't exist. They do. But they don't exclude. And Jesus stretched out his arms on the cross. And in doing so, he embraced people of every tongue, tribe, and nation, and neighborhood. And he makes us one in him. And so we're not white or black or brown Christians. We're not rich or poor or middle class Christians. 
We're not white, excuse me, we're not American or Chinese or Indian Christians. We are not Presbyterian, Baptist, Methodist Christians. If we are in Christ, we are Christians first and foremost, one with him and one with one another. And that's the last point that Paul makes here. There's this incorporation. There's this unity we now experience. And we're just going to touch on this. This is, this is seen in the change that Paul says has taken place because of Jesus. And notice what he says in verse 19. So then, because of this, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints. You are members of the household of God. You are, you are living stones being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus as the cornerstone growing into a holy temple, a dwelling place for the Lord. Friends in Christ, our, our national and political allegiances change as we become fellow citizens of a new kingdom with saints from around the world. We we are now strangers and aliens to the kingdoms of this world and, and ambassadors for the kingdom of God. Our family connections change. Now they go beyond the ethnic and blood relations that we have to being adopted and members of the same household, the family of God. We are brothers and sisters with all fellow believers. Our spiritual relationship goes from, from standing outside the temple walls, hoping to get in and, and somehow get nearer to God, to now being living stones that are being joined together in Christ as a holy temple where God dwells in our midst and in us together. The great incorporation that takes place in Christ is that now we are joined together as one with each other in order that we might know and grow and show the power of, of true peace and reconciliation that comes only through Christ Jesus. So what unites us is no longer that we are Americans or whether we agree politically, but that we belong to the kingdom of God. We live under his rule and reign in our lives and in our community. What unites us is not what family or cultural background we come from, but that we are now children of the living God blessed with every spiritual blessing by our Heavenly Father. What unites us is not our, our job or social status or economic class, but that we are joined together as one people with one purpose, to be a dwelling place where God, by His Spirit, at work in us and among us. The implications of this are great, and they affect every aspect of our lives. So let me try to finish with just a couple of applications. First, we are a reconciled people, and therefore we should be a reconciling people. The body of Christ is a unique place. It brings together sinful people from all kinds of places, backgrounds, and personalities. And there are people in this church here with us today that, that look differently and, and, uh, and think differently and act differently than you do. The question is, how do we deal with those differences? Will we deal with them in love? Or will they become walls that divide us? As we come back together after a year that has been really, in many ways, full of, of alienation and in some ways division and various hostility in different ways, some of that has likely crept into our relationships. How we love one another in the midst of our differences will speak volumes 
volumes to God's love for us. So take a minute to think. Maybe there's someone that you need to make peace with in the aftermath of this pandemic. Maybe there are some dividing walls that have been erected that need to come down. Friends, Christ is our peace. And as we repent and walk in the reconciliation that he, we have already received and has been achieved for us, we will be a reconciling people. We are a welcome people, therefore we should also be a welcoming people. Some of us have been away from gathering together for a long time. Some of you here are new to Ambassador in this past year, and you're just getting to know one another. We're getting to know others and one another. Well, as we, as we gather back together, as we, as we come back together, let us go out of our way in the coming weeks and months to welcome one another and to, to welcome others who may be coming. To look to engage and speak and get to know those who don't, you don't know. Take the initiative. Reach out to others and get to know them. Because we're family in Christ. And remember that we were once on the outside looking in. And you may be here today as someone who is on the outside looking in. I just want to say to you that Christ has opened the way. And in him, God draws you near reconciles you to himself and to one another. And so I invite you to come to God, come into his family. And for us who are in his family, let us, let us go out and, and welcome and invite and, and share the good news of the gospel with those who remain on the outside. And let's not let the world's labels mark who we are as the church. Jesus prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one so that the world would know, that the world would know that he had been sent from the Father. The reality is we are one in Christ. The question is, will we live like it? So Let's move just beyond peace talks let us live out the true, lasting, eternal peace that we have with one another and with every brother and sister in Christ Jesus so that the world who is far off might be drawn near in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we rejoice that we who were once far off alienated and separated from you and from your promises and the, and the covenants that you have given to your people have been now brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, it was a peace that cost you everything and costs us nothing because of what your son Jesus Christ bore on our behalf. And so, Lord, as we seek to live out that peace together in your church, 
Lord, there are many, still many dividing walls that separate us. Those that have been erected by our ways and our thoughts. Father, I pray that you would bring those down as we seek to show forth the unity that we have in Christ and the peace that is ours as one body. Lord, make us light to the community around us, to our state and to our nation and to the world as those who truly know peace and reconciliation that lies deep in the heart and the soul. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.